0: raspy. So if I have to take breaks for some water, pardon me in advance. But last week we finished Romans chapter 8. And I kind of played it up to you by, by how, I, 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 I don't know, I just kind of talked about how chapter 8 is the zenith, the pinnacle, the apex of the book of Romans. Romans. And if that is the case then verse 28 that we covered last week has to be the crescendo of all of it right there. You know, just what we were able to cover and it is all true. What chapter 8 was all about, man, it's just like, whoa, man. I I I I think that there's no other chapter in the Bible that that just that's well yes, it is. It's one of my favorites, man, that that covers as much as chapter 8 covers. That just kind of tells us what Christ has done. And who we are and where we stand in Christ. That would solidify who we are in Christ. I, I don't think there's any other chapter that, that, that can just... Con- I don't want to say convince us, but convinces us of who we are in Christ. And what we can do and be in in Him. Now, now that's, that's not to say that there isn't more to come in the book of Romans, because there is. Um, but like most believe, and I agree with them, that that if we went from chapter eight right into chapter twelve, the book of Romans would just flow perfectly, because it it it, it almost seems that. Um, there would be a descent from the summit after chapter 12, but it won't be a hard descent. It's going to be a gradual descent until Paul says his goodbyes. It's gradual because it just kind of hits the peak and then just like, man, oh man. And so chapters 9, 10, and 11 though, as we get to this portion of Romans, It it, it almost seems like we hit the summit and then you kind of slip and slide down a ravine and and, and you kind of went backwards a little bit instead of moving forward. Because of all that Paul has already shared, why would he go back and talk about the nation of Israel? See, that's what we're going to be covering in the next three chapters, the nation of Israel, basically. And so it almost seems like we drop off from this crescendo. And it's like, well, why are we going back there? Can I I suggest to you that that we would look at these chapters as like finding a cave up in the summit. As you reach the height and you find this cave, instead of a ravine where you go back down, that you find this, this cave And you go in and you explore some wonders that God has had in there forever. And it just reminds us of how wonderful he is and how awesome he is. And that we would look at these chapters, chapter 9, 10, and 11, in awe of who God is because of the handiwork of our creator. You see, these chapters kind of have to do with the sovereignty of God, particularly chapter nine, and it's pretty hard here hitting. And, and Paul, he he kind of, well, I, I guess I'll explain it as we move on, but but he kind of has to go back here in this portion. Some some might think that it's like a parenthetical chapters, you know, there's a parentheses there before he, we go on to chapter 12, but, but it really is not. It, there's no parentheses there. He just has to touch on this before he does move on. There are things that as we talk about the sovereignty of God, there are things that I will never understand about God and I am okay with it. And one of those things is his sovereignty. I am okay with that. That's why he's God and I am not. Because he knows way more than I know. His word tells us that his thoughts are not like my thoughts and his ways are not like my ways. His thoughts are way beyond my thoughts and his ways are way beyond my ways. And and I just have to think that when I think I have God figured out, I am way off because there's way more that God is, that I am not, and I can't even reach that. It's not to say that I don't want to learn more about Him, or I'm just like, well, I'll just sit here and do nothing else. No, I want to continue to know more about God, but I know that because of my finite mind, my little pea brain, cannot understand the infinite God that we have. And guys, if we could totally understand God, he would not be much of a God. He wouldn't be much of a God if I could totally understand him. And so it's mind-blowing as to what we will cover here to me. And I hope I can do it some justice. Uh, We're going to do all of chapter 9. And so verse 1 of chapter 9, we'll read through, through verse 13 right now. And then we'll head on from there. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that myself, that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came who is over all the eternal blessed God forever. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are of the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is those who are the children of the flesh. Those are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed for this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah when also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls." That is, it it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So going back to verses 1 through 5, where Paul begins this chapter or this portion by saying, I am telling you the truth, I am not lying. Now when somebody tells you that, you almost want to go like, have you been lying to me all along or what? Why would you say it that way? But I think the the emphasis here, or he is so emphatic with what he wants to share that he almost has to preface it like, no, I am not lying when I'm telling you this. The The, the answer that, that, you know, was he lying is of course not. He, he, he would not be lying. But because of the depth, of what he is about to share, or what he has shared with us here, almost seems to be exaggerated on Paul's part on how he feels about the Jews. You see, Paul had become an enemy to the Jews. Paul was a good Jew. And when he got saved, everything changed in his life. And he went to the Jews, but the Jews rejected him everywhere he went. And so he started going to the Gentiles. But he never stopped loving the Jews. But people were saying that he was now a traitor. He was a turncoat. He was some kind of a defector because he was hanging around with so many Gentiles. And so it wasn't that Paul was at war with them. They were kind of at war with him. And so when he says, guys, I am not exaggerating here. I am not lying to you, not one bit. I have great sorrow. I have great sorrow for these people because they have rejected the gospel. These are my people. These are the ones that I love. I grew up as a Jew. He still was a Jew in that sense, but they had rejected the gospel and he had the, this deep seated love for his people he had a deep burden for them he, he he just seemed to to have such a desire for them to to be saved that he says for i could wish for I could wish that I could be accursed for them if I could. See, that, that, that wouldn't be possible, but it reminded me of the time when when Moses, when, when they, he had gone up to, to, to meet with God, and he came back, and the people were sinning. They had made this golden calf, and, and all of these things. And, 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 and he comes back, and God says, or he says, man, my people have sinned, God. And he goes and he asks them or or talks to God. And he's in Exodus 32, 31 through 33. He says, then God returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot them out of my book. And Paul, in this sense, he's saying, If I could, I would go to hell for my people. I, I would much rather trade places with them if they were going to be saved. And, and when, when you look at what Moses is saying to God, it says, If you won't forgive them, then, then put that on me. And man, as I am looking at that, I'm going, who says that? You know, would we say that for our families? It's like, okay, maybe I will say that for my family. But would you say that for a group of people? Would you say, I would rather be cursed if they had salvation? If I, they were guaranteed salvation, I will go to hell for them. That's pretty hardcore. And you see, Paul is at that point, And that's why he's saying, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, that I would be willing to do that. I, I, I would be a curse for them. But he understood that that could never happen. He, knew, he understood that he could never be a curse for anyone. He couldn't even save himself, much less save other people by sacrificing himself. He, he understood that Christ had already become a curse for all men. He had already paid the price but his heart hurt so much that he was willing to do it or he said, man, if I could or I wish I could just so that they would be saved. What the Israelites had received as he goes on in verse 4 and 5, what those Israelites had received was and is more than any people or nation that God had ever given to anybody. I mean, He gave them so much. He showed them so much kindness. And yet they, they they were rejecting it all. It says, Who are Israelites, his people in the flesh, his his people, these people had received an adoption from God. No no other nation had, but they did. They received the glory. and He's talking about the Shekinah glory that would come into the, the, the Holy of Holies and that's where God was. His glory was upon them and He was not in any other nation but on them He was. The covenants that He made with them. The giving of the law. He didn't give it to anybody else but them. And the service of God and these promises and all the forefathers that had come before all these people were from Israel. God had blessed them abundantly. And through them Jesus Christ came. And God and, and Paul doesn't make a mistake here when he calls them the eternal blessed God. He, he he he's talking about the deity of Christ, that he is God. He wasn't making a mistake. God had not done that for any other nation except Israel. And Paul is burdened because here God had given so much to them and they had just rejected it. They had just turned their back on on him in that sense. But he says in verses 6 and 7, but it's not that the word of God has taken no effect. Because of the state that Israel was in, as far as their standing, it was not that the word of God had failed or fallen short to reach them and that it wasn't able to sustain them or keep them because Isaiah fifty-five eleven says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will, or it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. His word does go out and it does do what it is it is meant to do it will not come out void or come back void it's god perfectly speaks but people don't always respond god perfectly speaks all the time but people don't perfectly hear the word of god or they stuff their ears or plug their ears again looking at all that god did for israel we're told that Jesus came to his own and his own rejected him. They did not receive him, it says in John 1.11. And like we've learned in 2 Peter, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Man, God, God, God does his part so much and it's up to his nation, his people, that he loved so much to respond. And oftentimes throughout the Old Testament, throughout the OT, we see that, that the people of God, they would come to him and then they would turn their back on him. And they would do this time and time again. And yet, how many times do we do the same thing? Because, you know, as I'm looking at this and studying all that, I'm going, man, Israel is so dense. And then I have to look at my own life and our own lives and, say, and so are we. He has given us so much. And it's not that His word has taken no effect. Man, it is so ready to do the work and we are the ones that should respond to it. Most of the Jews had not become partakers of that divine power. Like Peter was sharing with us in Second Peter. And so Paul is making the distinction here in verses 6 and 7. He's making a distinction between Israel according to the flesh and those who were according to the Spirit. If you remember back in in, in Romans chapter 2, which was a while back, verses 28 and 29, it says, "...for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh." But he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see, Paul had already in this letter started kind of setting the stage for people, especially the Jews, that they were not any more special than anybody else. God had leveled the playing field with Jesus Christ. Before Jesus, that was his nation. When Jesus came, he put a stop to it and he was building his church. And so now he levels the the, the the playing field. And even though when the church started out, it was predominantly made up of Jews... Through the years years or over the years, the majority were now Gentiles that were in the church. And so Paul is writing to Gentiles and he's writing to Jews in Rome. And that's why many of the, the Jews who were not in the church, and maybe some that were in, but most of the Jews that were out were considering Paul to be some kind of a traitor or turncoat. Because he was hanging out with them. He was ministering to them. They all knew who Paul was. They all knew his pedigree. Who who he was before. And so they just thought. Well he's just a traitor. You see being born a Jew. Now. After Christ. Didn't automatically make them. The children of Abraham. When the Pharisees came. And claimed to be. Sons or uh, claim that Abraham was their father when they came to Jesus, claiming that, and they're kind of putting them down because they knew that he was uh, he was not Joseph's son. Jesus says, "If you were, if Abraham was your father, you wouldn't be trying to kill me." But he says, "But he's not your father. Your father is the devil." <laughs> That's who your father is. And so he's almost, Jesus even made the distinction back then. Not everybody that calls themselves a Jew is a child of God anymore. It wasn't like before. The same is true being born into a Christian family. Just because someone is born into a Christian family does not make them Christian. Just like coming to church does not make you a Christian. Somebody, you have to make that distinction between those in the flesh and those in the spirit. And that's what Paul is getting across here. That there was those who were called Israel that were not Israel. He says, but in Isaac, the son of the promise, your seed shall be called. So verses 8 through 13 as he's making this distinction, he, 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 he gives us an illustration in these verses. And this is where the sovereignty of God. We, we see the sovereignty of God in the lives of people and nations. Ishmael, where it, it talks about uh, that is those who are of the children of the flesh. He's talking about Israel or he's talking about Ishmael. Ishmael was was the, the the firstborn of Abraham, but he was not born from Sarah. He was born from Hagar, who was the, the maid servant. God had promised that, that that Abraham would have a son. And because it took so long, they decided to do it in the flesh. And the Egyptian young lady was there, and Sarah said, Well, why don't you have a son, because you'll never have one for me. And Paul calls him here the, the child of the flesh. Galatians chapter 4 speaks a, tells us that whole little story about the son of the flesh and the son of the promise. Isaac was the, the child of promise. And the promise would be through Isaac from Sarah. Not anybody else. And what happened with Hagar was of the flesh. And so he reminds them there that God's sovereignty chose Isaac over Ishmael. Now at this time, these guys are excited even to hear that, that God's sovereignty picked Isaac instead of Ishmael because they were of the lineage of Isaac. <laughs> and so they'd be like, hey, good, good job there, God, in, in, in your sovereignty. Because we are of Isaac, not Ishmael. They were at odds with them. And then he he, he continues on. And now he talks about Rebekah and Isaac. And, and how Rebekah conceives. And from them, there's, there, there's two babies. There's twins that are going to be born from Rebekah. And you have Esau and Jacob. The other illustration of God's sovereignty. Even before they were ever born, God had revealed to Rebekah that there was two nations, two people within her. And that the older would serve the younger. It's interesting because when you, when you see the story or you read the story, it says that Esau w- was born first and that he was like very hairy, red and hairy. And that as he was coming out, Jacob grabbed his foot and he was the heel catcher. And so Esau means hairy and Jacob means heel catcher. And so these two nations were going to be born or come out. And yet God, even before they had done any good or evil, had already predestined that the the younger or the older would serve the younger. And, and again, it's just what God wanted. And again, the people of Israel were happy about that because they were from the lineage of Jacob. They're again, once again, going, good job in your sovereignty, God. You chose them. You chose Jacob. Now, Esau did sell his, his, his birthright to Jacob. You see, he really didn't care much about it. When he felt like he was dying from hunger, he decided to sell his birthright. But it was only because Jacob, who was the heel catcher, he was a, a schemer and a conniver, says, hey, well, sell me it and I'll make you some stew. And so he does it. And so Jacob was no angel, but it's almost like, okay, God, why would you pick him? But he did. And then when it came time to get the blessing of the firstborn, Rebecca helps her son, Jacob, fake out Isaac, who is now old and blind. And she brings in Jacob, the younger, instead of Esau, the older. And if you've ever read that story, it's just kind of a trip, because here Esau goes out to go hunt and bring home what he needed to, and they connive over here and say, well, let's just dress you up, put his clothes on, and we'll put sheep on you so that he knows that it's you, because you're, you know, it's, Esau's very hairy. I'm thinking, how hairy was this guy? That, that he would put that, it's like he touches them, oh yeah, that's my son. You smell like my son, you feel like my son. It's like, whoa. But he even thought, but your voice sounds like Jacob. And yet, even through all of this, he still gets the blessing of the firstborn. Now, when we get to verse 13 here, is where some people kind of like, well, that's, this is, just doesn't sound great. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Again, some people have a hard time with the sovereignty of God here. Other times when it's going their way, they're okay with God's sovereignty. But man, how could you hate someone like that? Well, What you need to keep in mind is the quote that Paul is quoting here is from the book of Malachi. Which would have been written several hundred years after Esau and Jacob were ever born. And now because these two kids had become two nations. He is referring to Edom which is Esau and Jacob would be Israel. So he's talking about two nations here when he says Jacob I have loved or Israel I have loved but Edom, or Esau, I have hated. What happened was, Edom had become an enemy to Israel. And Malachi was prophesying against the Edomites, that they would be desolate, that they would not be prospering. You see, God would be blessing Israel abundantly, but Edom, he was casting away. And so the promise would come through Jacob. So in regards to this whole love-hate thing, in, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus mentions something to this effect in the sense when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife or ch- and children, brother and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus was never an advocate for hate. He, he he is all about love. But in the context of your love or our love for Christ, everybody else should be as if we hated them. And so he's not saying, hey, I want you to hate people because he doesn't preach that. He says, "Unless you, unless your love is far greater for me than it is for everybody else, you're not even worthy to be my disciple. And so our love for Christ should exceed any kind of love. And so... Uh, for anybody else, and so in comparison, it would be like we hated other people. So, verse fourteen: What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not, for for He says to Moses, "I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy." and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, Mm -hmm. nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scriptures say to to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for whom, for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from from the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with all long-suffering the the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And what and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Here we have another illustration of the sovereignty of God. And so he begins verse 14 by saying, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? His instant reply as he's asking this question is certainly not, not at all. It would be impossible for there to be any unrighteousness with God. It it, it is not even feasible that there would be unrighteousness with God. And this is where I think when we begin to think of the the sovereignty of God, we, we try to understand it and make sense of it and it's way beyond us. Because some of the things that God does, or allows, or causes to happen, we can't, we can't quite comprehend. And in that, we're, we're going, oh, I don't, gosh, Lord, I don't think that's right for you. I don't think that would be right for you to do. Or why would you allow this to happen? And it's almost like, who are we to question Him in that sense? But we do. In dealing with the sovereignty of God, what we need to understand is that we cannot understand it. I think if we tried to understand it, we would go crazy trying to understand it. You see, if we could understand the sovereignty of God, once again, He would not be much of a God. We would totally understand why He does things, and we can't. And I think if we come in with the perspective of God is in heaven and he knows it from beginning to end and he, he has seen it all. And if we can put ourselves in a place where it's like, Lord, I am here to do your will. I, I don't know what your will is, but I will walk with you. I will do what you've asked me to do. Because if I try to change who you are, then, then I'm just going to go crazy. And I think that's where we get ourselves in trouble, where we try to understand, why does God do certain things? I don't know. I, I, I don't know why He allows certain things to happen. And like I said earlier, I, I'm okay with that. I think I... I think... I... I, 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 think I, I I don't get a headache thinking about that. I, I, I can't go there sometimes. I want to, I mean, sometimes I want to know so much, but I can't go there because it, it was, it's just way beyond me. And I guess because I'm so simple, I will just trust that he knows what he's doing. And I think when, when I came to the Lord, and I didn't know much, and, 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 and even if it, 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 what I do know now, I am so glad that he does know what he's doing. Because if if he was confused in what he was doing, then, man, we'd be in trouble. And so I'm okay not understanding everything about God. I'm okay with that. And and I think that when we try to make sense of it, in our understanding, we'll go crazy. It's just way too much. For us to try to understand. Here we have Moses and Pharaoh. Or or we have Moses first of all. um, As as he was standing up for the children of Israel. As I shared earlier. God had told Moses. I'm not going to go with you guys. Because if I go with you guys. I'm going to kill all you guys. I'm going to send an angel instead. And Moses said no. No, God, if you're not if you don't go with us, then we're not going. And so he pleads with God to where God says, Okay, I'll go. And in Exodus thirty three, nineteen, is when God says to Moses, after this conversation he has with him, I will be gracious or have mercy on whom I will be gracious or be merciful to. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I will, I will do what I want to do, not what you want to do, Moses. When, when, when it comes to the sovereignty of God, as much as I could decipher here, it is all about His mercy. It is totally about His mercy because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we deserve nothing but His wrath and His judgment All the time. And yet he doesn't do that. And so he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And there's people that he has mercy and there's people whom he doesn't have mercy on. I don't quite comprehend that. But I am so glad that he has shown me compassion and mercy on me. (laughs) I'm so glad about that. We have all sinned. And so any kind of compassion that he shows upon mankind, it's it's already way more than he he, he needs to give us because we deserve nothing of it. None of his mercy. And so when he tells Moses, Moses, you know, I will do what I want to do when I want to do it. Now verses 17 and 18, here we have the story of Pharaoh. And if you know the story, you know that God gave Pharaoh chance after chance after chance to let his people go. And there was times where, where, again, Moses would come to him and it says that God hardened his heart or that Pharaoh hardened his heart and then that God hardened his heart. And they kind of went back and forth as you read through it, that there was times that, that just his heart was, heart was getting hardened. He would not let his people go. And how many times did, did Moses go back to him and say, Hey, this is what God says. And, God, and Pharaoh would say, No. Pharaoh was trying to stand in the way from what God wanted to do. And so because he, he hardened his heart, God strengthened his position and hardened his heart because it says that there was, uh, there was times where he, he would not let his people go and it came down to where he could not let the people go. Because he had gotten so hard. And so he strengthened his position. Again, did God know it? Yeah, he knew that that was going to happen. Could he have changed it? I guess. But he didn't. (laughs) Did he give Pharaoh the opportunity? Yes. Time and time again. If Pharaoh would have just said, Go on with your bad self. Take them all. Maybe things would have worked out different. And we would have been reading it differently. But he didn't do that. And again, this is where it's like, okay, God already knows what's going to happen. And so there's a, there's this sovereignty of God. And then there's that responsibility of man. And here at Calvary Chapel, we believe both. We don't lean just on the sovereignty of God to where we just sit there. and It's like, well, it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. So I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. I don't have to go talk to anybody about Jesus because he knows who's going to be saved and not going to be saved. So it's not up to me. Or you can be like the other people and say, well, God started the ball rolling, but now it's all up to us. And God just said, hey, you're on your own. No, there, there, there's a balance in this whole thing. That there's the sovereignty of God, but there's that responsibility of man. And when we look at at, at, at Pharaoh, it's like, okay, did he not do what God... It's like, I'm giving you a chance, Pharaoh. And when he got to a point, and I don't know where that point is, when he got to that point where he hardened his heart, then God says, well, I will strengthen your position. And you will not be able to do it now. That's pretty hardcore. <laughs> because and then after he, as he's saying that in verse 19, Paul says this, he says, you will say to me then, anticipating a question from them, why does he still find fault? for those uh, for who has resisted him. If God hardens people's hearts in that sense, strengthens their position, then why does God hold them accountable for what he's allowed to happen? And it's almost like Paul doesn't even entertain the question. He just goes right back and, and says in verse 20 and 21, and, and, and basically what he says, how is the clay going to tell the potter what to do? Who do you think you are to tell God what to do? Are you calling them unrighteous? <laughs> or, or that there is some unrighteousness in God? Not at all. We can't. We can't do that. I heard a guy say that there's two fundamental truths in the universe. One is there is a God, and the other one is you are not Him. <sighs> Who are we to think that we can tell God what to do, if He is the one that that, that shows mercy and kindness? Oh, He He, there there's a wrathful part of God. <laughs> and I do not want to be on that side. And so so he begins to tell us here who do we think we are? We're just the lump of clay and he we are in his hands and if he decides to make vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor then who are we to say? I don't I don't think you got it right, God. And see here's where where the Jews still saying, well, I think he made the right decision because they weren't Egyptians, they were Israelites and they were set free. But Paul's getting to the point here where he's saying, but God has kind of put leveled out the playing field and now even the Gentiles are now in this equation. And that's where they're beginning to not understand the, the sovereignty of God or wanting to understand the sovereignty of God. And so he's telling them, hey, you want to tell God what to do when it doesn't go according to what you want done. And I think this is where we have the problem too, when we don't understand why is this happening? We're saying, God, if you could only listen to me, and yet God's going, well, if you just obey me, (laughs) maybe things will turn out different. See, and this is where we can't quite understand it, because it's like, oh, okay, hey, Lord, do you want me to turn to the right or to the left? Gosh, you're not telling me, Lord, so I'm going to go to the right. And he says, I knew that's, that's the direction I wanted you to go. But what if I would have turned left? And that would have been the, it's like, ah, you understand? It's, it, it's hard to quite, quite comprehend the sovereignty of God. So our job is just to be obedient here and just be the clay in the potter's hand because he knows best. And if you have come to him, he has made you a vessel of honor, not one of dishonor. And it's almost like from verses twenty-two to twenty-four, Paul says, "What if God wanted to show his wrath and make his power known, known enduring the long uh, with much so- long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? What if God?" does want to make vessels of dishonor because I guess right here a lot of people presume that if God in his sovereignty makes vessels of glory or of honor, then he has to make vessels of destruction and we don't know that for sure. Paul gives us the hypothetical here where he says, what if God, because he's, what if God wanted to do this? He's God, he could do it. He would still be righteous. He would still be righteous in what he does. All I know is, (laughs) for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't quite comprehend that. If he chooses some and doesn't choose, I, I, I don't quite comprehend that because it says that he died for the world. He sent his son for the world. In 2 Peter it says that God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. That's what I know. (laughs) And so that's what I will share with people. I don't know if you're chosen or not chosen. But I will share with you the gospel. And it's up to you if you receive it or not. It almost sounds to me that God has shown mercy to all men. But not all men want it. It's almost as if God chose everybody to be on his team. But not everybody wants to play play on his team or play by his rules. And so they decide, I don't want to be on your team. Okay, you've made your choice. (laughs) Because again, there's that responsibility of man the way I see it in scripture as well to those who received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. But yet God has chosen it all. (laughs) You see, again, here we believe in the sovereignty of God and also in the responsibility of man. There was a man who came to to Charles Spur and asked him, how do you reconcile between the sovereignty of God and the... the, um, the what? The responsibility of man. He says, I never reconcile friends. They're friends, they work together. He doesn't have to reconcile them. Guys, there is our responsibility to choose. If you chose him, he knew that you would. If you don't choose him, he knows that you wouldn't. <laughs> He knows, I don't know, I don't know how that goes. And Paul says here in verse 24, even us whom he called, not only the Jew, but also the Gentile. And this is where some of the Jews would have a hard time. They hated the fact that Paul would even put the Gentiles and the Jews on the same level. They hated it because the Jews believed that the Gentiles were created only to stoke the fires of hell. That's what they believed. See, God has chosen us, so we're good. He has not chosen the fires of hell. We're good with God. But once God said, oh, now that the playing field, a plane, uh, the leveled off the playing field, now they're a little teed off going, well, wait a minute what do you mean not all Israel is Israel? Not all Israel is of the children of Israel. Or the promise of the seed of, of, of Abraham. See, they were having a hard time with that. And so he's he trying he wants, when he wants, with whom, whomever he wants. And then from verses 25 to the end of the chapter, here we see that the prophets foretold the blinding of Israel and the mercy that would be shown to the Gentiles. So I just want to read it through and then we'll, we'll close off in prayer. He says, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and my beloved who were not my beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said of them, You are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah also cried out concerning Israel Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the seas, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short. In righteousness, because the Lord will not will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath or the Lord of hosts had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles. Who did not pursue righteousness have obtained uh, to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel pursued the law of righteousness, but not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but it, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. He had prophesied that the Gentiles would come in. But see, they hated the Gentiles so much that they never thought that God would actually come through with it because they were the chosen people. God's sovereignty had chosen them but in his sovereignty, he had opened it up for everybody else. You see, when Jesus came, that's when the le- the playing field would be leveled. And they didn't like Jesus. They didn't receive Jesus. They, di- they rejected him. He was the stone that was going to set them. That, that, that would be the cornerstone there. And they stumbled over Jesus. And because of that, the Jews or the Gentiles would be able to come in. Because it was prophesied that they would come in. And they came in because of faith. And yet the Jews, they tried to work for their salvation. And they couldn't do it. And they fell short. And Paul is being straight up with them here. He's saying, unless you come to Jesus, you will not be chosen. And again, guys, I don't quite comprehend how God chooses, but he does. And my advice to you, if you don't know if you're chosen... Choose God today, and you'll know if you were chosen or not. Because the Bible tells us that those who come to him, he will in no way cast out. And so if you don't know if you're chosen or not, come to him, and then you'll know. Amen? Let's pray. Woo, that was a lot of reading. Father, thank you again so much for tonight, Lord. Lord, again, we we, we don't quite comprehend everything about your sovereignty, Lord God, except that it shows compassion and mercy on whom you want to show compassion and mercy lord and god we we want all of it lord we we don't want you to hold back your 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 mercy and your compassion upon us lord god lord there there are people who continue to reject you and yet as long as they have breath lord you've called them to repentance and i pray that god we would be able lord god to look out and, and desire to do our part for you, for the gospel's sake, Lord, to reach those who need to make that decision, Lord. Father, I know that you have seen it all from beginning to end already. But Lord, that's not for us to understand or to know. And so, Lord, while we we have breath, give us the ability to go after the people that you want saved, Lord, that we would have a heart like Paul who would desire even to lose our salvation so others can have that salvation, Lord God. I know that that wouldn't be possible, but Lord, break our heart for what breaks yours as that song says that we sing, Lord. That God, you would truly give us a heart for the lost, Lord, that they might come into the kingdom and that they would be saved. Be with us now, Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, reminding us, Lord God, of how good you are. Lord, I know that we can't quite comprehend your sovereignty, Lord God, but we we believe in it. And Father, please, Lord God, just go with us, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, bless you guys.